0: Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name, worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders, the Lord thunders over the mighty waters, the voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Let's pray. Uh, Thank you that you are the Lord God Almighty and that your voice and your word is powerful. And Lord, we just pray and ask that as we come to your word this morning, that our our hearts, our ears and our minds would be open to receive uh, the truth and also, Lord, to be filled with your spirit, to be transformed for your glorious grace. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I read through this psalm as part of my quiet times, I went, wow, this is a pretty cool psalm. <laughs> and I read through it two or three times more, uh, each time trying to do it with a deeper voice to capture the, the, the strength and the power of the psalm. And at the end, I was like, I need to get Morgan Freeman or someone else with a really nice voice to read through this passage. And then I thought, no, no, that's not good enough. I need to get like a men's orchestra or choir or something to like, sing this out to capture its power. And then I read uh, Charles Spurgeon's commentary on this, and I think he actually landed on it better than I did. He said, you need to be in the middle of the storm, sitting in your house by candlelight, reciting and reading through the psalm. He says, Psalm 8 is to be read under a scarlet sky. Psalm 19 is to be read under the rays of the sun, and Psalm 29 is to be read in the middle of the storm. And so I actually um, did pray a couple of times throughout the week that it would be storming today. <laughs> um, I'm a, in God's sovereignty and will, we have sunshine, uh, which is good, I'm not complaining, but I actually really want to encourage you, take, make a note on the page, fold over this page, put, put something in your Bible and next time there's floods coming through Brisbane or the next time there's a lightning storm open this up with your family after dinner turn off all the lights, get some candlelights and just read through it time and again and I believe um, this psalm will work itself out into worship as you do so and so that's just a small bit of opening that just it captured my heart And I feel very much like I'm not going to, the richness of this passage, I'm not going to be able to share that with you today, but I'm going to do my best. And uh, so my proposition for us, the congregation this morning, is that as we read through this passage and as we come to the sermon, is that if our God, this God of Psalm 29, is with us, then who can stand against us? Let's just step back a little bit. I want to look at a little bit of the context because there's a little bit happening in here that we, as people living in a modern age, just miss. We're like, what is Kadesh and where's Lebanon and all these things? So let's just take a step back. Firstly, the author. The author of this psalm is King David himself, the mighty king of Israel, the the king that we point to all the time as kind of like the exemplar. He's the most powerful man in the land and yet he experiences this storm that renders him completely vulnerable, useless and powerless. The king of Israel sitting cooped up in his palace. He can't send his army out. He can't look after the flocks. He, he can't do any of that. He, the mightiest man in Israel, rendered completely powerless. And in this vulnerability, he looks at the storm, and he is spellbound by the beauty and majesty and glory, not of the storm, but of the God that he serves that is behind the storm. And in this spellbound majesty, he sits down and he, he pens the psalm, in worship to his God. And yeah, it's a a little bit funny because there's a consensus among the commentators that this psalm looks very familiar to a Canaanite hymn written to their God Baal. And they're pretty sure that one came first. So, who's this Canaanite God Baal? He's... Firstly, he's worshipped in Lebanon in this stage when David's writing this psalm. And it's the same Baal that we read of in 1 Kings 18 where we have uh, Elijah ministering to the country and they're at Mount Carmel and he challenges the priests of Baal and ends up um, killing all of them because they're worshipping a false god. And Baal is seen to be the god of the weather and the God of fertility. He's actually known by his servants as the rider of the clouds. And it's a bit ironic because uh, here in Psalm 29, I believe what is happening is that David is in part writing the psalm as a mockery of Baal, of this rider of the clouds, the God of, Of Lebanon, the God of the Canaanites, he's writing this psalm as a tribute and a poem of worship to the one true God. And an interesting thing that I just I I had to, to touch on it is in 1 Kings, when all of Israel is turning to worship Baal, Israel is stuck in a drought for two years that Elijah said was gonna come. And the story is broken when he keeps sending his servant to look over the ocean to see a cloud the size of a fist. All these Baal worshippers are asking the God of the weather to come through, and there's drought. And then Elijah prays to the Lord, and this cloud comes and brings torrents of rain And at Mount Carmel, he challenges the priests of Baal and says, whose God is real, yours or mine? Let's test. And we know how that ends. We are now standing in a church that is worshiping the Lord God Almighty, and there's not a single temple of Baal that you can go and worship. The word of the Lord endures, and the false gods pass away. And so we have this beautiful psalm with strength and glory and beauty, and yet it's a mockery and there's irony throughout it. And um, it's ultimately, it's a song. It's meant to be a poetic song that people are able to sing. And I I promise I won't sing it to you because you'll leave the church. Um, But I quickly want to touch on a couple of things there. As David is sitting and experiencing the storm and writing this poem of worship to God, He's telling a story, and we need to to follow the story. We need to understand the story. It's a story of great imagination and beauty. It's a story of power and authority. It's a story about mockery and irony, and it's a story about Yahweh, the creator God, the author of all creation, the Lord and God. And so to, to understand this poem a little bit, uh, I, I'm going to go and be a little bit boring, but I think it's for our benefit. I want to just step through a bit of a glossary and define a couple of the words that are in this psalm. And I want to touch on two things some stages in the psalm there's just the physical that needs to be explained but at other stages the language that are being that's being used is symbolic and draws from all of scripture which makes it very rich and so i i want to encourage you uh open your bibles back up to psalm 29 i don't have any slides you're going to have to follow with your phones as i point and go look at verse 3 you're going to have to look at verse 3 in your bibles and the first phrase I want to look at is scattered throughout verses 3 to 9 is the voice of the Lord. It's repeated seven times, and it is meant to represent thunder rumbling. David, when he hears the thunder rumbling, he hears the voice of God. So seven times the thunder rumbles, and seven times we hear the Lord speak and hence, uh, I'm titling the sermon the Psalm of the Seven Thunders. In verse three, we have the line, "Is over the waters." Now, physically, that actually means just to the left of Israel. If you look on the map, there's a big body of water. It's called the Mediterranean, um, Mediterranean. <laughs> uh, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. <laughs> um, And this is probably where the storm originates over the oceans, but symbolically we have over the waters, and it reminds us of Genesis 1, where the Spirit of the Lord is hovering over the oceans. And then it takes us to Revelation 21, where it says, and the sea will be no more. And I I can't go into it now, but Through Scripture, the waters are seen as chaos and disturbance and matter that's uncontrollable. And time and again in Scripture, we have God who is in control. God hovers over the waters and then creates. God removes the sea. And so just keep that in mind in the psalm is it's not just physical ocean, but God is over the chaos in our world. Uh, In verse 5, we have the cedars of Lebanon, and physically, these trees were highly prized. They were the treasures of that region. We, We later hear that the temple and the palaces all have cedars of Lebanon being used in its construction. But symbolically, it points to a pride of Lebanon, this land in the north of Israel where Baal is worshipped, the god of the weather, the god of fertility. Then in verse 6, we have two references, one to Lebanon and the other one to Siron, or if you look at your footnotes, Mount Hermon. And those are... Still to the north of Israel, mountain ranges running along the north part. Verse 8, the deserts of Kadesh, is a physical location on the most south part of Israel. In verse 9, it talks about the voice of the Lord twists the oaks. And you can look at your footnote. One of the other translations it could mean is the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. And physically, it seems like that's exactly what happened. In this massive storm, deer just probably gave birth prematurely to their young because of the stress of the conditions. Yet, symbolically, it seems like a direct challenge to the god of fertility, the god of Baal. Once again, we have this rivalry between two gods playing out. Verse 10 The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Physically, it's the floods outside that you can see. It's the floods of water coming down from heaven. But symbolically and scripturally, there's a link to the floods of Noah. And there's this parallel connection of the God who is seated above the floods of life and death of judgment and grace. The power of all creation is in His hands. And then finally in verse 10, that God has enthroned, oh, sorry, I skipped over one. Verse 9, and in His temple all cry holy. Who's writing the psalm? David. When was the temple constructed? After David. David. It should technically read the tabernacle. That's what would have been in Israel at this stage. But um, it looks like the temple that is being referred here is all creation, is crying out glory. The temple that got created is all of creation itself. That is where He dwells. Um, And then our final one, verse 10, enthroned forever. Physically, God is, was, and always will be the king forever over all creation. Uh, but in a symbolic way, we also, or in a deeper way, see that God is enthroned forever over kingdoms, over kings, over creation, and even over idols and false gods in our lives. That's the glossary done. Sorry, you can wake up again. Uh, but now that we've looked at a bit of the context, I'd like to, to use a bit of creative license and go through this passage again. And I want to invite you to imagine with me as if we were there when this psalm um, was written. And I, I want us, that's why I would have loved if there was a storm right now, you wouldn't need a lot of imagination. But for today, we'll need a bit of imagination. Okay, so imagine that we are with David sitting in his palace, watching the storm brew in the distance over the sea. And as he watches, the night sky starts to darken. You can hear the low rumble in the clouds. And all of a sudden, David's eyes are opened and he's catching a glimpse of the spiritual reality of what is unfolding beyond the curtain of the physical. He sees a host of angels ascribing glory and strength to the Lord and worshiping the Lord God Almighty in the splendor of His holiness. And in the middle Of this myriads of angels sitting in the throne sits the Lord God Almighty, the Ancient of Days. And as the angels are worshipping Him, we can see God slowly standing up from His throne, turning towards the Mediterranean Sea, turning towards Lebanon, And as he stands and starts to walk in that direction, he opens his mouth to speak. And as he speaks, thunder cracks through the heavens and lightning appears through the skies. And David is thrown back into his palace. The vision has closed and all he can see is the storm coming over the sea, moving towards Lebanon and he hears two more cracks of thunder as the Lord speaks and it's majestic and it's powerful and again the thunder cracks and he sees the cedars of Lebanon splintering into a thousand pieces and the Lord speaks and the hills of Lebanon and Mount Heron is jumping like calves. Who could move the mountains? And The Lord is on the move. He was over the Mediterranean. Then he moved to Lebanon, and now he's moving closer and closer to Israel. Lightning is striking. Israelites are sitting in their mud-bricked houses with windows and doors made out of mere pieces of wood. The wind is howling. The water is rushing. The king is sitting in his palace. Nothing he can do except sit in awe and wonder. And then, another time, the voice of the Lord cracks and the whole desert shakes like a leaf. And in this beautiful splendor, the Lord continues to move through the nation. And all of creation is the temple of the Lord. The rocks are crying glory. The birds are crying glory. The people are crying glory. The storm is crying glory to the Lord of heaven and earth. And again, we just capture this glimpse of heaven where there he is, the Lord God Almighty, enthroned over the flood, Enthroned as king forever. And this God who reigns, He gives strength to His people. He blesses them with peace. What an amazing psalm. There's just a couple of things that I want to pull out of this passage. This psalm is a mere 11 verses long and yet in these 11 verses David mad- cram the Lord that phrase 18 times into these 11 verses this whole psalm all of creation all of purpose and meaning is found in the Lord it's not about David talking about himself. He actually doesn't refer to himself individually once throughout this whole psalm. This whole stage, there's the king of Israel and he gets no airtime at all. It's all about the king of heaven and earth. And it reminds us, you know, of another storm in the New Testament where the disciples are crying out to Jesus, wake up do you not care that we're going to drown? And Jesus rebukes him and says, where is your faith? Because it's not about them. It's not about me. It's not about you. This world, this life, these storms, especially in the storms, we go, so, oh, I'm struggling. Oh, my workplace, oh, the finances, all these things get so Focused on us, and this psalm says eighteen times, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. It's not about us; it's about the Lord and what He is doing. Three times it talks about the glory of the Lord. Twice at the start, where the heavenly beings is giving Him glory, and once later on in verse nine, where all of creation is glorifying the world, the Lord. It is all about the glory due. To the king. Then seven times we have the voice of the Lord, we have the thunder that this whole psalm is written on. And as many of you know, seven represents wholeness and completeness. In six days God created, on, on the seventh, he rested. And this seven, like, please do yourself a favor, Go read through Revelation after you read this psalm. Or if you can't do all of Revelation, Revelation 5. The imagery and the parallelism is absolutely beautiful. But in Revelation, we have the seven churches, the seven trumpets, the seven angels, and on and on it goes about the sevens, which represents the completeness. And here it's saying, God is completely in control. He has complete power, complete authority, and He is completely to be trusted by all of creation. You know this Baal dude? He's just a second-hand God that needs to run away when the God of Israel rocks up. You know the God of money? He fails and cannot give you security where The Lord God Almighty can. The God of relationships where you find all your satisfaction and your desires has nothing compared to the Lord God Almighty who created you in your mother's womb. Do you know the God of always being in control? Guess what? You will face a storm like David where you are not in control. And guess who is the Lord God Almighty? Do you know the King of Israel, David, known across the world as being one of the best kings ever. He was completely left vulnerable before the Lord God Almighty. Do you know the guy named Vladimir Putin in Russia who thinks he knows what he's doing? There's another guy called the Lord God Almighty who knows what he's doing. Do you know this guy called Mark Zuckerberg who's creating an empire and making lots of money out of us? He will be shaken like a leaf, just as the deserts of Kadesh were shaken when the Lord rocked up. We will do well today to be reminded of the words of Jesus in Luke 21, verses 33, where it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. Genesis 1, 1 the Spirit of the Lord hovering over the earth. Again, I ask, where are the worship places of Baal today? It has passed away. And so I'd like to remind us today that God is completely in control and that the voice of the Lord, His Word will endure forever. And then finally, what I would like to point out is what we should do, what our requirement is as people who know and serve an all-powerful, all-worthy God when we are faced with storms in our lives. Verse 11 says that God will give His people strength and peace despite the storm that comes through. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus did calm the storm. He calmed the storm when his disciples cried out, save us, we're about to sink. And when he calmed them, their response was, who is this man that the winds and waves obey? And we know that that pointed to the fact that he is the God of Psalm 29, walking over the waters, walking towards Lebanon and through Israel, that same God was there in the boat when the disciples cried out. But though He saved them from that storm, He saved us from another. 2,000 years ago, Jesus drank from the cup of the wrath of God in the Garden of Gethsemane so that we would not have to face the storm of God himself. So that the wrath of God, of a holy God, a just God, would be satisfied. And so, even in our day today, when we face the storms of life, we know that Jesus has purchased for us the blessing of his Father. He has purchased for us Shalom, the peace during the storm. And that, as I said at the start, if our God is for us, then who can stand against us? And so today I'd like to finish with an image, and that is, what would it look like when we walk out of the doors today and we go and face the storms of our life? Like little children going to our Father, who are picked up by our Father, placed on His shoulders, and seated on the shoulders of an all-powerful, almighty God, walking through our week as the storms roll over us and persist and continue to smash us. Because in the end, it's not about us, we're sitting on the shoulders of our Father, of the God of heaven and earth, of the God above the storm, of the God in the storm, of the God who has complete power and authority, of the God who has given us strength and peace to face another day, of a God whose word will prevail to the end. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we get so distracted so quickly, and yet the truth is, we can rest like small children sitting on their father's shoulders, trusting their dad completely. We are able to walk through life and know that you are near and that you are here, and that there is nothing in all of creation that will stand in your way. Lord, we just pray this morning, at this moment, Lord, would you fill us with your peace? Would you fill us with your joy? And Lord, would you fill us with the boldness, Lord, to step out in faith day by day, knowing that the God of the universe is walking with us and that we are able to find all our joy, peace, satisfaction, hope and joy in you. Lord, we just pray that, Your name would be glorified as we are satisfied in you. We pray this in your name. Amen.